Shalom, everybody, and welcome to the Shai Fleischer Show, broadcasting live from Judea to the world. You're a part of it wherever you are. And Shalom, and welcome to a cold Fleischer home. Uh, and it's just not because of our house is cold. It's just generally really cold. And welcome to the uh, the lady of the manor, Maka Fleischer. Yes, Shalom and hello, welcome. Yes, hello, hello. I, I mean, we're doing not bad. It's not like it's freezing cold. We're not walking around in our winter coats or anything. No, it's just been a long it's day for me. It's just cold out there. Right, and it's and it's cold out there. And it's been, uh, as I've discussed, like a week long of, of, or more than a week of just real cold and winteriness and um, and uh, hail, sleet, a little bit of snow to, to the Don't kids disappointed. Don't say snow. Yeah, the, the snow has been a, is a, yes, been a source of- a sore point yeah, here An irritant house. here um, because it has not fully arrived. Um, and so that's, you know, it's been a blessing for us and our house, our, our apartment here in, in Judea actually sprung uh, about three leaks, not real leaks, little damp patches. Damp There's patches no dripping the, yeah, that's right. That's right. Or just little drops, not big drops. Well, it's been raining and raining and that's raining right. and raining. That's right. And my project in Hebron sprung every, like get leaks from everywhere. Oh wow. At first it was holding up strong, not a leak. And then it was just everything got so soaked through. Right, everything soaked through. And um, and and you know, you know, there's something actually I really like about having leaks in the house. I really do. There's like something about it that I like. I like that we, you know, this household doesn't doesn't feel like yeah, you know, we're we're totally we defeat the elements. We are impervious to nature. It's like no, no, we actually live in a kind of tent. It's a little glorified. Well. It's a glorified tent. It's a, it's a permanent tent, if you will. I mean, but you're making it sound like we live in a cold, leaky tent. I'm saying that when there is cold and leakiness, my body is a little bit happy about it. Because I'm just like, good. There's something in the lizard brain's like, yes, that makes perfect sense. Okay, it's true that I've been wanting to hide under the covers and not go to work for the last few days because there's like this feeling like, the, the, you know, the, the, liz- the I call it the, the bear brain, not the lizard brain. Is like uh, wants to hibernate. It's time to hibernate. We don't go out. We well, don't. I made a lot more dishes for you today because yeah, I noticed cooked. that. Yeah, yeah. You do the dishes in the house for people who don't know. That's our little deal. I cook the food and many other sundry things, and you do the dishes. Yep. And so there's a lot more because I made lentil soup today, and I made a noodle kugel today. My God, because we have Ashkenazi kids. My God. And I was at the I was so the, you know you need those like wintry foods. I made real hot chocolate with like melted chocolate bars. Oh God! Yeah, you missed all that today while you were out. Good for me. That sounds very caloric. Yeah, but it was good. <laughs> I'm trying to stay away from sugar right now. Uh, in fact, I ate a lot of okra at the Knesset today. I was at the Knesset and I saw them baking okra, making okra over there. And I love me a good okra at the Knesset. The Knesset kitchen, by the way, is shall we say on the Svartier side. That's it's cool. definitely it is definitely like. It's not like. Do you know how you say okra in Hebrew, Ishai? Bamiya. 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 It comes from the Lord. That's right. That is what they should be serving at the That's Knesset. Right. That's right. That's right. I'm just saying the Knesset is not like this Ashkenazi type thing. It's not. It's a very. It's a Middle Eastern kitchen. You know. It's. It's. Which I like. Of course, I like that. Uh, but you know what? As we're talking about uh, the elements, and we're talking about the the little leaks in the house and the joy the joy of the leaks. You know the joy of feeling that 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 we're still part of nature, and but we still can overcome it or or, or deal with it. I can't help but thinking about the uh, the number is not known. You know, it's is it tens of thousands? Is it hundreds of thousands? I'm gonna be- guess that's hundreds of thousands of people 
that are right now suffering in Syria and Turkey uh, when this great earthquake hit. By the way, I wish earthquakes had names. They have names like like tornadoes. Have I don't names. think they named it. Storms no, have names. You know, like I, I feel like I feel like earthquake. The earthquake, you know, Erdogan hit real hard, and uh, you saw the videos of all those, uh, you know, houses falling. The 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 uh, what's it called? The strength of the uh, the magnitude of this earthquake was so strong. It's unbelievable to think about it here in Israel. Tons of my friends, my mom, my friend Alex, my friend uh, Steve, my friend uh, who else? My fr- Uri. Uh, in Hebron, felt the earthquake and were woken up from it. They not they, I. No, not me and you. We're not, we. That's not. Uh, I I resent that also. Also, over the last few days. Wait. So, not to overly make light during this situation. I just want to give a little bit of the facts for now. Uh, they found at least eleven thousand deceased in Turkey, in Syria. Um, a sh- uh, a contingent of one hundred twenty five emergency response people with like 10 tons of supplies went to Turkey to try and extract some of the people. The people on the ground evidently are outraged, not because the Israelis are there. I haven't heard about their response to the Israelis, but they're outraged because of the low response rate by the Turkish government after all these buildings fell down. Of course, we know that there were two separate very severe earthquakes 7.4 and 7.5 i believe magnitude something like that or 7.5 7.8 and uh and th- apparently for years in turkey there's been instituted like an earthquake tax because they were supposed to be preparing for this stuff and then they had their big earthquakes and there was no major response the people are enraged um israel went uh amongst other countries went to 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 assist and so far, our team has pulled out, they said, five people out of the rubble, which on the one hand is like absolutely amazing. I mean, to pull out five human beings, that's that's those people are so important, right? To each family, those people are, are everything. But at the same time, it's like five people, right? It's like 125 people went and they were able to to take out five people. The, pro- the process of pulling people out of these like collapsed buildings is 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 something unbelievable. Yeah, you and need, now you need tractors, you need balloons. You and need all kinds of like drilling and sh- sawing yeah. and burning. And things shift and you right, can, you it's can so, crush somebody It's else. very dangerous. It's, it's dangerous and it's crazy. And just to see the devastation. And uh, so the the devastation is so great. Not to, I mean, let's not even discuss the fact that there's all these like homeless people and people who are just plain injured. They're not dead, right? But they're just hurt. So Israel is also going to be establishing with another 225, something like that, people. And like they're already sending like barges of supplies out to to Turkey right now from Israel to create one of Israel's most famous um, acts of kindness that it does around the world, which is a field hospital. A mash. Um, Israel is uh, particularly skilled and successful at field hospitals in um, disaster zones. Right. And um, there was word, there's not a lot of reporting on it now, there was word that Israel's going to also be um, providing some assistance in Syria, which would be unprecedented. But I don't know, I don't know if that's yeah, they've like... they've hushed that up. They've yeah, it's, that not, up it's not being discussed overly. 
Yeah, it's it's really it's really tough. But uh, I've been thinking. The truth is, you know, and then we top have of a, it, there's like this cold spell, right? There's this, there's this and there's here, this so here, our kids are like snow, snow, right? They're like right. itching for the snow, and they're disappointed. I'm having to like this. calm a lot of people down and stuff. Yeah. I think I did tell the kids we should be but like we should be like let's north pray for of no us snow. Right. in Turkey, right, and in Syria where it's like three degrees Fahrenheit colder, something like that. They are getting snow. They're getting snow and rain. There's a big storm front that's been sitting on Israel. For us, it's been a very big blessing um, for the most part. Yes, we have a little bit of wet patches in a couple places in mm-hmm. our ceiling. But aside from that, it's it's really been a blessing. We needed it very badly. But in, but in Turkey and Syria, it could not have come at a worse time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we have a complicated relationship with both of those countries. We had a lot of tension with Turkey after the Mavi Marmara incident in which they sent a, a, uh, like a, a Gaza blockade ship. Um, and there was a, there was a whole incident of violence between uh, quote unquote peace activists on the ship who were armed. And then our, our uh, naval, soldiers went and boarded the ship and they were attacked that was a major source of of uh that was a major what's the word it it froze our relations and of course syria we've never had a good relationship with with the country of syria and yet i can't help but find myself really hurting for these people just to think that they were all just in bed just living their lives and doing their thing and suddenly Everything's flipped on its head and, and just such a tragedy, really. Right. Well, Erdogan has been an anti-Israel jihadist for most of his career. Sometimes he flips and he goes nice and he goes, he gives us nice face. But he still supports all these organizations within right. Israel that, that try to undermine our sovereignty. And if you have ever been to on Turkish television, I've been to on, on Turkish television and uh, I basically don't go on there anymore because it is just vehemently anti-Israel, vehement. Mm. And, and, uh, and but of course the you know the majority of Turkish people are you know are well known that they're that they have a friendly attitude towards Israel and Israelis just, uh, like to go on vacation in Turkey right so so that's for sure that we feel that our hearts go out to them and Syrian people as well and so many people that have been affected are also Syrian dissidents you know that 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 uh, don't want this protracted war with Israel not only that they they have a war with with they have a war with their with own Bashar government. Assad. Right and uh and uh, the instability there so anyway you know and, and when you think about these earthquakes you also think about um the earthquakes that israel's had itself right we've uh, had three earthquakes in the last 24 hours quakes let's call let's call them like let's call them like the, okay the, they're counted count it yeah, they're, they're earthquakes seismic. they're they're low level earthquakes at like in the three like three plus level earthquakes, right? And there's te- tectonic plates. You know the stuff that the continents sit on are just mush- moving around right now. Right. There's a shift going on in this yeah, area. Yeah. You know the ground is moving underneath our feet here. So right. Literally. So it's a little bit scary because yeah, it's definitely a uh, scary. also in Israel. There's been talk for years and years and years about how uh, we're quote unquote due for a big, a major earthquake. God forbid. Big earthquakes have happened around here. Right. They flatten spot many times. Uh, and it's at Jerusalem, and it's at Hebron, and these things like have, have have shaken the lives up and changed community makeup for a long time, and very serious stuff, you know. And it's it's amazing, you know, when these forces come to be. When you think about, 
you think about like I think about uh, 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 Ukraine, and I'm just like, is Ukraine ever going to come back to be the kind of country that it was? Mm. It wasn't such a such a healthy country in the first place, but certainly now, emptied by, by a million people, have left Ukraine. And my mother-in-law, uh, no, my, not my mother, my brother's mother-in-law, uh, just uh, arrived from uh, from Ukraine to Israel, and uh, and she's coming for a visit. Maybe she'll consider even staying here. I don't know. Uh, but the point is, is that. Uh, you know, there's there's these changes, and and the same thing now with Turkey. Maybe maybe this Erdogan, you know, won't won't be there anymore. And uh, you know, after this thing, maybe right. maybe that'll be a casualty of this earthquake, right? Uh, and maybe that'll bring for 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 better times. Um, but in any case, right now, a lot of people are suffering, and and it's uh, I think it uh, I think it behooves us uh, to pray for their welfare and and the children that are that are suffering right now in the cold and and and, and you know and you know what, Malka. Do you know what I think about in these moments? What? I get so angry inside. Because I think to myself, Amnesty International and all these organizations that give us a hard time day in and day out, Doctors Without Borders. I think to myself, I don't want to see tomorrow one stupid Doctors Without Borders uh, a Jeep driving around Hebron. Go to Turkey. Go to help people. Go to do a little bit of what you're supposed to do and leave us alone. There is no big Palestinian crisis. The whole thing is a made-up sham. Go to where there's an earthquake that, like, right now it's tens of thousands of people, but I'm sure at the end of this thing we're going to talk about even bigger numbers. Okay, go go, go deal with real things. Be real. And all you media people that are all day long harassing me because, because, uh, because uh, Minister Benkvir wants to take away the pitas from, from, from murderous terrorists... Like, and you're all reporting on that. Go, like, go tell a story about what's happening in the real world. Okay, nobody cares. Nobody should care about, like, if terrorists are eating pita, fresh pita or not, okay? They can, they, those, that's exactly the point. Like, they don't need to be eating fresh pita. They can eat stale pita. Somebody told me, by the way, don't take away their pita. They can, they can bake their pita. You put it in a room, they can have it after three days. <laughs> like, like, okay, you can have your pita if it's a, because there's I mean, some... Our, I'm pretty confident we serve food at the, at the, ho- at the uh, <laughs> I was going to say hotel. Yeah. At the prisons. My point is, my point is, is like, sometimes the world says to you, come deal with a real thing. You know, and all the, you know, and when, when the American State Department, when the, uh, uh, Secretary Blinken shows up in town, he's like, the most important thing is that we have a two-state solution because that's what the international community wants. I want to be like, why don't you go to Chicago, inner city Chicago, and deal with the fact that last year the number of inner city murders is numbered at 595 which is a three times more, maybe four times more, than all the casualties we had in the big Israel-Palestinian conflict that you are so confident about how to fix. Why don't you go to your inner city, Mr. Secretary, and deal with your problems? And, oh, you're just dealing with foreign stuff? That's fine. Go to Ciudad Juarez. Go to Ciudad Tijuana and go over there and deal with the 3,000 people that are murdered every single year and leave us alone with your great Mr. Solution. You clearly don't know how to deal with with the real humanitarian crisis, okay? So leave your faux, uh, you know, how to solve problems, problem solving, fly on the presidential jet and come over here and tell us exactly what to do. Just, Just go back. Just go back down there. Go be real for a minute. Go deal with real problems and get off our back get out of your obsession with us and and go help real people with real things and leave our good country alone 
That's what I want to say about that. Yes. Maka, uh, today's show is dedicated to somebody very special who passed away uh, last week. Uh, and his name was Mark Golub. Mark Golub was an American rabbi, media entrepreneur, television personality, and educator. Uh, he created the television channel Jewish Broadcasting Service, used to be called Shalom TV, and also the first Russian-language television channel produced in America, RTN, Russian Television Network of America. He was the rabbi of, uh, of Chavura Eitz Chaim in Stanford, Connecticut, the host of the L'Chaim show, which I appeared on uh, at least three times. Right. Um, and he was a guy that came from a more liberal uh, background uh, and yet and, and was on the liberal side of the political spectrum and yet had a tremendous rapport with uh, nationalist people like myself uh, and uh, he was just a good man. Yeah, he was a nice man. He was, he was just a nice Jewish man. Yeah, he was just a nice Jewish man and an educator right? and a lover of, of Yahadut. Uh, and he tried to start something beautiful for Jews in America to, to have their own TV station. That's right. And Mark was a friend. Um, and I wanted just one of those heroic type Jews. He wasn't the kind of... He didn't practice the exact kind of Judaism that I practice. He didn't have the same political opinions that I exactly have. Uh, but he was a man that I respected. And uh, a little later on the show, we're going to play a segment from uh, my appearance on uh, on L'Chaim that's nice. with Mark Golub. So that's that's who I dedicate the show today. And I also ask everybody to pray uh, for the folks in uh, Syria and Turkey uh, who are suffering. Maka, uh, another issue that I wanted to cover with you today is uh, something that we missed. We didn't miss it at home, but we missed talking about it last week. There were so many things going on, and that was the minor holiday of Tubishvat, which is the, uh, for lack of a better word, the Arbor Day. Um, you know, and I'm here. I'm speaking for the trees, and I'm just saying. <laughs> I think that, you said that last time. <laughs> and um, the, we we had this beautiful holiday, and uh, Maka, once again, uh, your uh, Kuma, uh, that's our original Aliyah organization's name. Uh, your original Tubishvat Seder that we uh, wrote up, that you wrote up so many years ago, uh, came out, uh, and you edit it from time to time. I gotta, I gotta re-edit it again. Every year I look at it, and I'm like, yeah, I gotta fix that. I gotta fix that. I gotta fix that. Put it out as a pamphlet, and you'll get excited yeah, about that's it. That's true. Uh, you know, and uh, and we went to my mom's house. And we ate the the fruits with the peels and the fruits without the peels, fruits with the big pits, fruit with the tiny little pits, fruits that are totally edible, fruits that are, you know, parts inedible, uh, and the holiest, uh, you know, fruit of them all, which is the etrog and, and, and the seven species. Uh, and we celebrated the land of Israel and the flourishing of the land of Israel, which is the greatest sign of them all. There's two signs. You want to you believe in God? I here's, do. Here's, 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 here's the signs. Here's the signs, my friend. It's really that simple. Here are the signs for belief in God. Go. If you want to believe in God, all you have to see is the survival of the Jewish people. The, the uh, continued survival of the Jewish people through thick and thin and persecution and dispersion and our, our return to the land uh, is really... Uh, well. So the first, no, stage one is just the survival of the Jewish people. That's proof positive of God. And proof of redemption, our sages tell us that there's no greater proof of redemption 
than the flourishing of the trees and the fruits uh, and, and the grasses of the land of Israel. When you see the flourishing, you see the fruits of the land of Israel, you'll know that that's the redemptive period. So that's basically it. You want to believe in God? Look to the Jews. Be like, they have survived. There's only one way that that's possible. They are a godly force. Also, you can all look at another thing, which is the amount of hate out there for the Jews. Irrational. Irrational hate. That is also a proof. Unbelievable. This, In fact, just today on Twitter, I was having a hard time because there was this one guy from, from the United Kingdom uh-huh. who... You know, he likes to call me a settler, right? And so we got into an argument about something. And he basically was like, oh, yeah, well, I've been to Hebron a bunch of times. And I've seen you aggressively approaching Palestinians there. This happened today. Okay. And I was just like, no, you haven't. (laughs) And... Uh, like who are these people that I aggressively approached? What year was this? Where were you? Where was I? Where? What? What is the story that you're that you're so sure that I aggressively approach Palestinians? It's just like, are you kidding me? Like, have you ever <laughs> met me? Do you have any clue who I am, what I stand for, how I deal with people of all different kinds of of people? Like, you have no earthly clue. And I was just, I was, I was. Not shocked, but yes, shocked. I don't know. Somewhere in the middle there by the readiness to just flat out lie. Like this is a lie. Like the whatever this guy said, I assure you that I have never approached Palestinians aggressively in Hebron. That has never happened. Oh. No, but it's but he as a person who like has some followers, he said this out loud. That I that I aggressively approach Palestinians when he was in Hebron, and I'm like, I don't think so. And he's oh, like, Well, you're he... really hard to miss or something. And I'm just like, Wow! Like you literally just you've never even seen me in your life. I I think that you once aggressively approached the storefront when you wanted a bag there. You may have walked in and been like, I really want this bag. Can I buy it from you? Maybe could that be it? Or no, that, I don't uh, do that either. <laughs> I'm just joking, Maka. It's all kishkush balabush, as we say. It's all a bunch of hooey. No, but it, but the the their readiness to go far outside the bounds of basic morality, right? Basic morality, right? Is uh, eye opening. Um, you know, when they ever cover Chevron, no matter what they do, the, the they have these tricks. And their biggest tricks are, number one, they somehow somehow like either push to the side or just completely X out the uh, fact that Jewish people have been living in Hebron for 3,500 years. They somehow miss that point. And then they miss our relative size. They're like, there are some streets in which Arabs can't walk freely. I'm like, yeah, it's one little ghetto street within this giant 20 kilometer square kilometer city. We have one street which we live on defensively, and that's why we're ghettoized. And there's really not right. Any, uh, Do you want to take pictures, sorrowful pictures of all the streets that Jews can't walk down right, in Hebron? Right. And then I'm like, and then and then, and they're like, frustration has brought out some violence on the Palestinian side. Just now. I'm like, I'm like, 
No, see, no, see what it is. It's not frustration. A, they're like loaded driving, you know, Mercedes cars and with these big houses. So they're not frustrated about that. And it, they don't, when they, when they go on these terror sprees, they leave these wills and they're like, a jihad, a jihad, we have, we are, Allah is, is great and Muhammad is his prophet and we will get rid of, of, of the Zionist cancer and replace it with Palestine. And I'm like, this is not about rights. It's not about rights. This is about jihadism, okay? This is about Islamic ideology coupled with like with a Nazi type like 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 uh, Arab nationalism. It's like it's a it's a fusion of these like hateful anti-Semitic things as nothing to do with rights. So just you know, these are the three things. Also, it has nothing to do with hopelessness. Right. I heard that used recently. Oh, you yeah. know, the, I think it was the New York Times did a. Uh, an article on this 13-year-old who shot two people. One of them is, by the way, in very complicated situation now in the hospital. This guy, this this uh, officer. Nadav is his name. Right, Nadav, he was an officer and he was shooting. There's a picture of him like with his bleeding stomach right. but and still holding on to his pistol. Worse. Yes. Right, he got much worse since then and we're, yeah. we're all praying for him. I said to him for him today, Right. Uh, Psalms. Um, anyway, so th- apparently I didn't read the article, but apparently I think it was the New York times did an article on this kid. And the headline is like, he had once wanted to be like a chef. And that article was about like this poor child who like went on to be a, isn't it sad that he was forced to go be a, you know, attacker against Jews because of the hopelessness. And I'm like, hopelessness. That's not what it is. It's hopefulness. Right. They shoot us out of hopefulness. Did you tweet that? Did you no, tweet I did that? not. You should tweet that exact sentence right there. That's exactly right, Malka. That you should you should tweet it. By the way, it's these little sentences that that make people understand. Right there, just tweet that and explain to people that it's a, coming out from a hopeful side, not a hopeless side. That's absolutely right. Listen, Malka, uh, we have a lot of uh, I have a lot of clips today. I have Great. a lot of extra clips uh, from from different parts. Like of what? The, what kind of stuff? Well, I have my recent um, appearance on I-24 where I came out to defend uh, the policies of Minister Ben Are you playing the whole thing? Yeah, I'm going to play the thing. It is real good. Yeah, it's spicy, I watched it. I watched the video that that went out on I-24. It's excellent. All right, so let's put that on right now. Uh, Let's uh, go to, uh, let's ask Ben Bresky to stick in uh, the I-24 clip right here. uh, And you'll see how the other side uh, is explaining... Uh, their hopelessness and uh, their their fight for rights and all that business and kind of denies and it's the of course the fault of the occupation. Well, let's hear what they say. That's right. Let's hear what they say. Here's I twenty four and uh, Samer and uh, from the Fatah organization and myself are on it together. Now, far right national security minister Itamar Bengvir. He's appearing to be under pressure since taking office last month. That's amidst a string of high-profile violent crime. I want to introduce here Yishai Fleischer. He's a longtime spokesperson for the uh, Hebron uh, Jewish community out there in Hebron, but also now an advisor to the National Security uh, Minister of National Security, that is Itamar Ben-Gvir. So thanks for being with us, Yishai. Um, look, is this, I don't know if you heard or much, I know you just joined us, how much you caught of, of Summer's comments, the concerns around this pending demolition in East Jerusalem. You know, is this the time for, for raising decrepit apartments? buildings in, in Flashpoint, East Jerusalem, that as far as I know, are currently not drawing any national attention. You know, wh- where's the sensitivity around that? Is there, you know, any sensitivity from this ministry towards the wider conflict? 
first thing, it's nice to see my friend Samer, and it's good to hear him. Uh, with regarding to uh, this particular case, I'm a little bit surprised at Samer because the guy that uh, whose house is about to be demolished, this is the second time that he's built illegally. He built also in Silwan illegally. And back then he stole from fellow Arabs. And also now we're talking about area that was zoned for public usage for the Arab world over there, for the schools, for the parks. So this guy, a criminal dude, went and stole land from his fellow Arabs that's supposed to be zoned for public usage, for like a park or a kindergarten. He stole this land. He's already been proven a criminal beforehand. Now his house is going to be destroyed for the good of the Arabs of eastern Jerusalem. And yet Samer uh, sadly uh, presents it as an Israel versus versus a Palestinian conflict, when in fact it is uh, an intra-Arab problem. And we get turned to all the time by fellow Arabs saying, hey, my neighbor is acting criminally. Can you help me? Now, what you asked whether this is the right time or not, it's a police action that is sanctioned by the court. It's the court that decided to do these things. You know, the very same court that we're always discussing on other issues. The court said, not not Minister Ben Gvir, the court said, yes, it's time to demolish this house. The police want to do it because the police's job is to fight illegal actions. Its job is to create a law-abiding society. And so, yes, illegal housing, stealing from other Arabs is in, in, illegal and will be taken down. Now, this government, the only difference is that this government wants to make sure that, uh, that we don't, like, bypass these decisions of the court. We don't kind of tell the police, we'll say, you know, maybe it's not the right time, that kind of language okay. they used before. No, yeah. it's the right time right now to fight illegal, illegal actions on the ground and to create law and order for Jews and Arabs in that area. Samar Sinjalawi, Fatah activist from Jerusalem, the chairman of the Jerusalem Development Fund. Samar, I want to come right back to you here and, and stay with Minister Bengvir here. I mean, recently, you know, shut down things like pita bakeries in Israel's security prisons, housing Palestinians now, making a major push now for the death penalty for convicted terrorists. You know, your thoughts on this too, Samar? Well, Bengvir uh, is famous in lighting fires. Uh, this is how he has been elected in uh, showing himself that he is very anti-Palestinian in showing himself that he is extreme uh, right-wing uh, activist. Uh, I think he is uh, now planning uh, for the coming election in 2027. Uh, he wants the premiership. Uh, he believes he can achieve this. He has been able to swallow merits while he has been in the opposition. And now, in four years in, in, in power, in government, he, he's trying to swallow the Likud. Uh, unfortunately, Whatever he does, he's touching nerves, and he knows that these nerves are going to have escalations, and he doesn't matter. He doesn't care about risking hundreds of uh, civilians from the Palestinian side, the lives of civilians from Palestinian and Israeli sides, because he knows the consequences with what he's doing. Uh, I, I, uh, I really wonder how low will the Israeli politics go down the street in seeing people who have been supporting terror and even con convicted in, in, uh, in terrorism in the past in leading, min in leading ministerial uh, position. Uh, yesterday, uh, there was a, uh, an activist, uh, Zvi Sokot, who has entered to the Knesset uh, according to the Norwegian law. This guy has been arrested in 2010 for terror against Palestinians. He was deported by the Israeli security in 2012 uh, from the West Bank because of acts of terrorism against Palestinians. And he has demonstration, he has organized a demonstration in 2015 in Tel Aviv in support to Jewish terrorists who have burned uh, life 
a family, the family of Dawabshi in the in the village of Duma. So this, this Summer, is the I want to give you a shot, a chance to respond here. I'm going to hold on to both of you through the break here. I want to hear, hold on both of you through the break. We're coming up about a minute left here. Uh, Ishai, your reaction to some of this here. Well, I think that Mr. Benkvir is a man who is uh, scary and destabilizing to the jihad. If you're a jihadist and you want to destroy Israel and you call for the erasure of Israel, if you sell maps with a picture of uh, the borders of the land of Israel, but it has the word Palestine on it, if you plan on terrorism, or if you've been caught doing terrorism or murdering Jews, but now you're sitting in jail getting a degree and also baking your pitas, and suddenly comes a minister who's elected by the people and says, hey, 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 we are not going to allow criminals like murderers to be baking their own pita and living the high life in Israeli prisons. We will not let criminality go forward. Forward, and we will not be a, a, a party to uh, allowing Bedouins uh, to extract money from businesses and protection rackets or women to feel unsafe walking in the streets of Beersheba or Yafo or Akko. No, there's a new sheriff in town. That sheriff wants what the people want, which is law and order, and the jihad is on the run. Look, I think I think in uh, in this interview, uh, I think what's important is to focus on public security. The game of politics, the Israeli game of politics, has its own uh, you know mechanisms and its own power plays and, and that whole thing. I think what people voted Itamar Ben Gvir t- uh, to do is to give them basic security back on our roads. But it's those security policies. Bu- I mean, that's what he's talking about. He wants to see those things move forward. Death penalty for terrorists. That's right. That's because, national because, security and I, force. And I can tell you from. Yeah. from from being close to the minister, I've seen this over and over again. He's not joking around. In his mind, he has to fulfill the will of the people, and that is to bring back basic security. Sometimes when we watch, you know, I-24 out in uh, America or wherever we're watching it, we think that Israel is just a strong country around here, and it's got it all under, under control. But that's a fallacy. We have no-go zones in Jerusalem. We've got rockets trained at us from Hamas and from Hezbollah. Uh, we've got training uh, of young people, of Arab young minds, to hate Israel, to to call to destroy Israel. And so that's the reality that we live with. That's what we face in our capital city, Jerusalem, and certainly in Judea and Samaria, and everywhere in the mixed Arab cities like Lod, Ramle, Beersheba, uh, Yafo, Akko, all these places. And so so we want law and order back. That's why we uh, voted this kind of government in. And it's really an overwhelming, you know, for, for Israeli politics, it was an overwhelming victory. And now it's time to fulfill those promises to the people. And you saw videos in the last week of people complaining bitterly yeah. uh, after the rape uh, and and theft uh, of an Israeli citizen. And it's just like Itamar, they say, Ben Gvir, give us our security back. Fund the police. Uh, strengthen it. G- give them the right to push back against those enemies uh, that are making life impossible. And very important for me to say this over and over again. The Arab community is turning also to Minister Ben Gvir and saying to him, help us. Help us get rid of illegal weapons. Help us get rid of the uh, of the suppression of the, of the corruption that we have in our towns here. And that's why mayors have been publicly standing up and saying, our Arab mayors have been publicly standing up and saying, we want Ben Gvir to succeed. Sabra, I want to throw a different sort of angle at you here, and feel free to respond. But look, thousands of Palestinians enter Israel each day, you know, whether from the West Bank or Gaza, to work. You know, the Israeli government effort is still there from the top down to sort of ease the economic desperation or hardship from, from snowballing in the Palestinian communities, despite existing threats. You know, we just highlighted that in our Ariel story earlier. Is this aspect of the relationship, how critical is it right now to preventing wider unrest, Sabra? Allow me, David, just to have a quick yeah, comment on yeah. the prisoners' uh, conditions. Uh, I, I couldn't speak after uh, Rabbi Fischer sure. mentioned. Well, uh, I would like to ask what are the conditions that are the Israeli terrorists who have killed the, 
burned Muhammad Abu Qadir in Shafat in life and killed him, who burned the Dawakshi family in, in Duma. What are the conditions they are living in? Are they are getting similar treatment to the Palestinian prisoners or they are getting a lot of other privileges and, and Itamar Benvir just really don't, doesn't care about uh, how they live and what privileges they are getting inside the Israeli jail. What is Igal Amir kind of privileges he's getting in, inside the prison? I will not be surprised he's going to be released soon, that he's going to be on the list of Itamar Ben-Gvir or Smodrich to the next, the coming Knesset, and maybe, maybe the Senate of, of Rabin will be a minister again. This is how low the Israeli political system is going down, and nobody is noticing how racist, how uh, discriminative against Palestinians and against Arabs in general. And we need, we need to stop this. My question to uh, Rabbi Fleischer, is there occupation in, 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 in the West Bank or no? And if, if there is no occupation, are Palestinians getting uh, equal rights to, to Jews or no? And if both your answers are no, is this apartheid or not? We need to face the reality. Is, is some some uh, arrangements of allowing Palestinians to work in Israel certainly will have a, a positive impact. Certainly, this outcome is needed for lots of families in, in, in Gaza. But this is not the solution for the security threats against Israelis. Israelis need to know that General X in the Palestinian society and General Z, those youngsters who have been born in the mid-95s, the 90s and, and, and the early of this century, they have lost hope of any good future. They have nothing to lose. And that's why there are a lot of lonely wolves. Yeah. People who woke up in the, in the morning at the age of 14 or 19, take up a gun and shoot Jews because they lost any kind of hope. We need to tackle the problem from its roots and try to find a solution for this. We cannot keep uh, ignoring the main problem. The elephant in the room is the occupation. It's the injustice against Palestinians. Yes, there are hatred, but hatred is equally among our generation, both sides. Do you think that Israeli youngsters love Palestinians? We, we can see the march each year in Jerusalem in May, where these youngsters are chanting death to Arabs. Hatred is there, and we need to fight it. And we can fight it only if we can bring justice, equal rights to Palestinians, either at the level of self-determination or equal Summer, rights wanna, within Israel. In the interest of time, Yishai, I'll give you a chance to respond here. Just about two minutes, a little under, please. No problem. I uh, appreciate the, the opportunity. Look, I think that Summer is kind of, uh, you know, weaving a false narrative uh, because uh, he's saying that we got to get to the root of the problem. He's right about that. But it's not about occupation. It's about jihad. And if you read the the wills of the terrorists, they all say the same thing. Allah is great. We're going to destroy Israel. Palestine is ours forever. You know, we're part of the great jihad. So they don't say we want equal rights or anything like that. And that's the elephant in the room. The elephant in the room is that, and I, by the way, I have Palestinian and Fatah TV at home. I watch it. I only need to watch about three minutes to know that this is 24-7 of of brainwashing, of hate. They don't talk about rights. They don't talk about equalities, all these things that Samir says for the Western you know, ear to hear. No, they talk about jihad, destroying Israel and rev revolution and, and then Tel Aviv will burn and that kind of stuff. They're not looking for equal rights. By the way, there is not one Palestinian map that shows two states living equally side by side. They they want to take over all of Israel. All you have to do is like go to the store, any Arab store, they sell these little you know Palestine keychains. It's all of the state of Israel. So you have to be 
an idiot not to understand that they want the whole thing. And so uh, the, the jihadist elements, not all Palestinians, because there are many Palestinians who are not like what Samar is saying, who want actually to live under Israel with upward mobility, with opportunity, and they hate the Fatah that, that Samar represents. They hate uh, uh, the this uh, dictator that they have ruling now, uh, Mahmoud Abbas, who's, uh, who's nothing but a corrupt thug and has the secret police and steals all their money and, and brainwashes their kids. So that's what they want. They want off. They tell me all the time, just give us blue identity cards, i.e. Israeli residency. Get these thugs off of our, of our neck. And I'm sorry, my friend Samir gets a, makes a living off of the Fatah, but the Fatah steals money uh, from the Palestinian people and then has the audacity to come on I-24 and tell everybody that they're fighting for equality and human rights. They are not. They are not the people of human rights. They're the people of torture and corruption. And so the Palestinians want a real life. That life is going to be under Israel when it liberates them from the Palestinian Authority uh, and from these type of people and gives them an opportunity for a real life in the most liberal and best country in the Middle East, which is Israel. Ishai, thank you. It's tough to stop this conversation any way or shape or form. But Samer, uh, one minute, if you'd like to re- reply here. Well, I don't make living out of Fatah. I am opposition in Fatah. I'm opposing Abbas. I want democracy. I want a more transparent and representative system in the Palestinian side. Uh, uh, but uh, uh, the occupation can continue. It's, it's not only unacceptable. Sabar, it's Sabar and Nishan, both sustainable. of you. This is obviously a discussion we can carry on for days and days. I appreciate you both, uh, especially with the undertone. I think you're both bringing uh, of coexistence here, of finding a way to live together here and doing what's best for everyone around here. So I appreciate you both joining. Nishan Fleischer, Samar Sinjalawi. Fascinating discussion and, and truly, uh, we're sure these issues will keep coming. We'll, we'll bring you back. Thanks for joining today. All right, that was uh, I twenty four. Oh, great! I'm glad you like that, Malka. That's great. I like how you put how you said something like, "Yeah, Ben Gvir is disruptive to the jihad." That's right. That's that was right. good. Yeah, and it's true, and it's true. All right, let's go to another clip, Malka. Now, and uh, here's our own beloved Ben Bresky uh, with a little bit of a history moment about uh, about Tu Bishvat. Awesome, and about this this Jewish back to nature day this Jewish day of celebrating the land and the trees, which the Kabbalists made famous in the 1500s. And then the, and then the, even the secular Zionists got into it in the early 20th century. We'll hear more about that from our history corner with Ben Bresky. Ben, take it away. This is a moment in Jewish history. My name is Ben Bresky. This week, the holiday of Tubi Shvat was celebrated throughout the Jewish world. The name means the 15th of the month of Shvat and comes as winter begins abating and spring approaches soon. The blossoms on the almond trees and other early blooming trees begin to show. It marks a time when Jewish farmers in the land of Israel in ancient times marked when the fruit trees were to be tithed. Tubi Shvat is described in the Talmud as the New Year of the Trees. The Talmud Bavli states, Our masters taught that a tree whose fruit has ripened in the past year is tithed for the past year. After Tubishvat, it is tithed for the coming year. This date was selected because by this time most of the winter rains are over and fruit has begun to ripen. It is marked by eating from the seven species of the land of Israel, mentioned in the Torah, wheat, barley, grapes, figs, pomegranates, olives, and dates. In modern times, Tu Bishvat has taken on an environmental meaning. 
On Tubishvat, many recite one of the stories of Choni the Circle Maker, who is mentioned in the Talmud. According to the famous story, Choni saw an elderly man planting a carob tree. He asked him, After how many years will this tree bear fruit? And the man said, Seventy years. To which Choni asked, Will you live another seventy years to be able to taste the fruit of this tree? To which the man replied, Just as my ancestors planted trees for me, I too am planting for my descendants. The early Kabbalists in Svat in the 16th century held a Tubishvat Seder similar to a Passover Seder, in which they ate of the symbolic seven species. Today, there are Tubishvat Seders held throughout the Jewish world. At the Seder, there are four glasses of wine or grape juice, two red and two white. There are also several types of fruit or nuts in which to contemplate spirituality and self-growth. Those with hard, inedible shells or peels and a soft, edible interior. Those with soft exteriors but a hard pit inside. And those that can be eaten in its entirety. What part of our personal lives do we see inside a shell, or soft on the outside but hiding a pit, or totally consumable? By the turn of the century, the Jewish National Fund celebrated Tubishvat with their famous blue boxes in which people all over the world put in coins to donate for planting trees in Israel, which was deforested after generations of neglect and underdevelopment. In the 1890s, Zev Yavetz headed the Zikron Yaakov School and on Tubishvat took his students to plant trees. Yadia spread all over the country and by 1908 was formalized by the Jewish National Fund and the Teachers Union. Thus, Tubishvat became a symbol of the early pioneers of the growth of the land of Israel and making the barren, underdeveloped land bloom once again as it did in days of old. The JNF reported that Israel is the only country in the world to have entered the 21st century with more trees than it had 100 years ago. On Tubishvat in 1949, the Israeli Knesset convened its first official session. After Israel's independence from the British in 1948 and then the subsequent invasion by surrounding countries and the war, which was not entirely over by that time, and the first-ever Knesset elections, which were held about a month before, the democratically elected members of the Israeli Knesset assembled in Jerusalem for the first time. Israel's first parliament for more than 2,000 years opens in Jerusalem. Two Arabs are among the 120 elected members in the assembly. Under the leadership of Premier Ben-Gurion, Dr. Weissman, the British-educated first president of Israel, in his opening speech calls for a state based on justice, righteousness, peace and love. Memorial services for the men who died in battle are held throughout the Holy City. Then, gala celebrations take over. There are still many problems ahead for Israel. Peace talks have yet to be completed, and the status of Jerusalem has to be finalized. But this is a day of rejoicing. Today, members of Knesset still mark the birthday of the trees and the birthday of the Knesset by participating in tree planting ceremonies. Groups dedicated to environmentalism and the protection of nature also hold clean-up days and planting events on Tubishvat. This year followed the Shemitah year, the sabbatical in which no planting or tilling was to take place. 
Many songs and poems over the generations have been written about Tu Bishvat. Wishing you a happy Tu Bishvat. This has been a moment of Jewish history. My name is Ben Brusky, and for more information, you can reach me at bbrusky at gmail.com. That's b-b-r-e-s-k-y at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, and shalom. All right, thank you very much, Ben, for that uh, fabulous uh, segment. And a lot of people really like uh, that, uh, that part of the show. So, speaking of Ben, I want to thank Ben, Tabitha, Moshe Herman, Yocheved, and Lou when we're live uh, for uh, getting our show out to the world. I also want to congratulate you, Yishai, because you're on a new platform. JNS, Jewish News Syndicate, has picked up your show, and uh, they're doing a beautiful job also of putting it up. So, thank you to JNS. That's right. And that's an excellent place to be getting your news, uh, all kinds of excellent opinion articles, news they have some good emails it's a really growing organization so it's one to watch you can also find them on twitter facebook very good jns i'm very proud i'm very proud malka that that i'm on now jns uh and so you know so there's jns and there's really my two go-to uh websites jns.org and for news and also jewishpress.com. It's a classic. Yes. And they put out... Uh, and you love their email. Their love their email. email. That's right, which is called the Jewish Express. I named it many years ago. Uh, so jewishpress.com. Uh, they are proud sponsors of the Yishai Fleischer Show. And uh, we also have um, the folks at israel365.com. Uh, they are uh, a sponsor for the show. And yes. usually we promote the Israel Bible. The Israel Bible. Bam, 10% off the word of God. That's right, bam. That's right. Uh, but today we are going to talk about uh, something else, uh, which is uh, uh, actually a um, orphanage Wow. Uh, from Ukraine, uh, Ukrainian Jews, Chabad. Uh, so I'm, you know, I'm always, I'm always proud to be associated with Chabad. Sure. Uh, <laughs> that's like, that's like a big like theme in my life. Like, you know, a lot of people don't know that, but that's like a, like a, like, that's like right, a theme. Chab- you know? Chabad keeps coming in. It's just, it's just a, it's not coming in. It's just a big chunk of my life. I, I daven in Chabad and, and just a lot of my life is, 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 has that, that, that streak in it. And so I'm proud also now that, you know, it's coming around that we're we're helping Chabad, who's helping these orphanage this, these orphans from a hundred orphans starting wow. a new life in Israel after escaping Ukraine. They need essential clothing, appliances, basic essentials, and more. Uh, and uh, they're raising money for them, and they're they're just making them. They're making their life. Um, they're making their life um, happen here in the land of Israel with Judaism, and you could support them. And that's just an easy way if you think about those Ukrainian. Excuse me, if you think about those Turkish and Syrian folks, well, we got our own refugees from a conflict and from like a war-torn place called Ukraine. So go to uh, Israel365.com, campaign, and it's called Support Orphans. You'll see it right there, Support Orphans. So Israel365.com, campaign, uh, forward slash Support Orphans. So check that out as well. Uh, Maka, and of course, we have our regular sponsors to the show, which include uh, Retro Watch Guy, and RetroWatchGuy.com just today. I was in the Knesset, and when I go to the Knesset, I try to support my Tisso right there uh, from uh, from the, uh, I remember, late 60s, early 70s. Just awesome. And there's great watches at IsraelWatchGuy.com, and they're cool, and they're, they have a great, amazing social they're always, media. They're always putting up new, beautiful watches also. Yeah, n- n- they're old, but new. New, new in their... 
That's right. In their care. That's right. And so check that out. That's a lot of fun. And you can't go wrong with getting yourself a new cool watch or getting it for, for someone you love or for Shabbat or for Chatan Mazaltov. Uh, so that's really fun. Um, and then we also have our good friends at Prohibition Pickle, Malka, who are making delicious yum-yums and, and kosher yum-yums, but they are spiritual yum-yums in that Shabbat is made better with the Prohibition Pickle. And I have a lot of friends who order Prohibition Pickle. They're like, oh, Isha, you know about Prohibition Pickle. I got to order some for Shabbat. I got to get this or that. Uh, and I think we're having all kinds of guests this Shabbat, Malka. Uh, and so let's make yes. sure good call. Uh, that we... Uh, Load up. That we load up and get some... Plus, these days, everyone's talking about the probiotics, like the, the gut health. Yes. And I know that Chaim makes his own pickles, and they have like the, the lactobacto, the lactobacteria, okay. I think, Lacto-bacto. whatever it is, like the good stuff, like the all right. the stuff that you want to eat in the fermented foods. Everyone's right. all about the fermented. He's got the bacteria with a Kedusha in there. That yes. is That is what's special about that. Uh, and speaking of holiness, uh, there's no more holy thing to do than to go to the Temple Mount. And the way to go to the Temple Mount is to get info and to know what you're doing because it's an in- initiation and then you become an evangelist of it. Right. Believe it's not, me. I just want to say, though, it's not a tourist site. Meaning to say it is the, the organization that you want to promote high on the har. They don't just treat it like a nice place to go. Right. They will teach you the s- very serious... And very real regulations, laws, and customs associated with going up on the Temple Mount and help you to go up Bikdusha in holiness. That's right. The way that we ought to go. That's right. With history and with meaning uh, and with and with a vision for the future, for that third temple. So that's highontheheart.com. Uh, and my good friend MJ and Rabbi Levy, they're in charge of that great organization. They're getting you up there. And then after you visit the holiest place on earth, Visit the followers, the people who walked in the path of God. Um, you know, the, the the future of our history. Go check out Hebron, uh, where I get to work every single day, most days anyway, and I have the great honor and, and, and privilege to uh, visit the Tomb of the Patriarchs and Matriarchs and, and pray there like the Pakistani woman who got excited about the fact that I get a chance to, to pray there every day and ask me to pray for her sons to get married to a nice Muslim boys muslim muslim girls that they would find um and i'm and i'm happy to do that the point is is that uh, the hebron fund hebronfund.org is your way to uh strengthen the 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 pillars of our peoplehood uh, in hebron hebronfund.org and our great tours with rabbi simcha hagman hebronfund.org rabbi dan rosenstein running the hebron fund and of course the jewish community of hebron um, including uh, the Director General Uri Karzin and Noam Arnon, who I get to work with. Great folks. Amazing folks. Uh, so, Maka, did, I, did we forget anybody else? Anybody else on the sponsor sheet over there? I think we got them. I think we got them all. God bless them all. God bless you. Now, uh, Malka, uh, we still have more clips, uh, and I do want to play uh, something from uh, Mark Olib. So I'm going to ask Mark Olib from JBS Shalom TV, who I said the show is dedicated to. Uh, he passed away uh, just very recently, and uh, it's with you know just just a few days after his passing. He was a very special man, and uh, you'll hear a little bit right now about you know what uh, what kind of dude he was, and really left a legacy and a memory in a lot of people's minds and hearts. And that's a person who died, you know, having done a lot of good in this world. So. Right. Uh, ben Bresky, if I can ask you to stick in a little bit of uh, Mark Golub right here, 
That'll be great and enjoy. And we'll be right back after that. You know, it's interesting. We've talked many times. And people should understand, I have a social relationship with Yeshai as well. It's not always true with the guests who sit at this table. And he has been wonderful to me and my family. And I brought my Chavura to Israel, and we were in Yeshai's house, and he took us all around the Mount of Olives. It was a fabulous, fabulous time. Um, we've talked many times. This is the first time in our conversation you've used the word jihadist and ISIS. It means in some way the discussion is framed differently. To what extent do you feel that what Israel is facing is not simply an issue of Arab or Palestinian, but it's really a jihadist movement, which is part of the entire ISIS phenomenon and the extreme Muslim ideology, which is creating terror throughout the world. To what extent should American Jews see what Israel is facing in its conflict with the Palestinians as part of that larger issue? So I use the word jihad on purpose because I don't want to use the word Arab, okay, or even Muslim. Because the truth is, is that we, even in Hebron, which is considered, you know, one of the more extreme of the settlements or what we call, you know, kind of courageous Jews living in an ancestral Jewish homeland, uh, we have many Arab friends who do not agree with the jihadist mentality, who are looking to get rid of even the Palestinian Authority, see Israeli sovereignty come back over that area. We have Arabs and Muslims who think differently. But the jihad is very strong right now. The jihad is a kind of uh, is a, an ideological virus. It's a kind of it's an idea. It's not a race. It's not an ethnicity. It's an idea. But it infects, or the people that are susceptible to it are Muslim Arabs. Uh, through is through Islamic classic Islamic values sneaks in this idea of jihad, and so uh, there is jihadism in Hebron. There is jihadism in East Jerusalem. Places like East Sawiya are just simply full of jihad. It's called Hamas. It's labeled a, a liberation movement, but in fact, it is a supremacist movement. And it doesn't What's their see, goal? Their, their goal is to get rid of folks who are not like them, Jews being just one of them. Uh, if they're, uh, you know, if they're uh, Kurds, if they're Yazidis, if they're, if they're a, a Muslim who says, you know what, I don't think this Israel is so bad after all. That's, that's who's going to get it. Uh, so they're supremacist against anybody who doesn't think like them, Jews being just one of the groups. In the Middle East, there's two kinds of minorities armed minorities and unarmed minor minorities. So if you're a Copt or a Yazidi, you're just on the run. And, and they'll either push you out or, or take your head off or, or you'll just leave. You'll get on a plane and go. Or there's armed minorities like the Kurds and the Jews who refuse to be bullied and, and want to stay there. I come back to the fact that you actually lived in Gaza. Sure. You, you were there during the disengagement. Yes. A strange word, by the way. Right. Um, you were there when basically Ariel Sharon said, we are going to leave Gaza. Every Israeli is going to leave Gaza. Not only every Israeli soldier, but every Israeli settler. You will leave your settlements and come in on the other side of what's known as the Green Line into Israel proper. Right. So I ask you, what was that experience like for you? And I, I'm assuming you believe Israel made a mistake, but I want to know how angry it made you and whether you believed the people, the Jews of Gaza, should have resisted with violence against an Israeli decision to remove Israelis from Gaza. 
Well, first, Mark, I think everybody agrees that it was a mistake on the left and on the right in Israel. Everybody knows that something happened wrong because people like myself, who are not prophets, maybe the sons of prophets, but not prophets, you know, predicted that within a year's time, Gaza would fall to uh, terror hands and become a terror state. I was wrong. It took six months. And it became a really a, a, a terror state, uh, one that, that steals away our, our Jewish soldiers and, and makes them captives, one that fires a tremendous amount of rockets and, into Israel proper, quote-unquote, and now is arming itself for the next war. Uh, it's, it's an Iran proxy. We have Iran proxies all over us. So, you know, the tightening noose of Iran is all around Israel mm -hmm. from three sides, mm -hmm. uh, from Gaza, from Hezbollah in the north, and from Iran proper. So everybody agrees that it was a mistake. I was exercising my democratic rights to let the country know that we think that the government is making a big mistake. We believe that Ariel Sharon and as, as Bibi Netanyahu were elected on a nationalistic platform, which is a better word, by the way, than right-wing. Nationalism. Uh, we believe that uh, they were elected on a nationalistic platform because that's what they promised before they got elected. Of course, they do the, the famous Israeli turnabout, which is, you know, you elect a nationalist and you, and you get a... a, a uh, a cow tower, and uh, that's the situation we have today. With regards to uh, violent protest, I, um, I, have to, I have to kind of stop here and, and, and tell you, we, have, we are victims. We are victims, people who believe that Israel should be strong. We are victims because uh, we are constantly being portrayed as violent and, and therefore also anti-democratic, anti-the-state. Nothing could be further than the truth, nothing, and it's ironic. We love our country. We are patriots of the country. We pay our taxes. We are its soldiers. We look at the flag with, with tears in our eyes. It is our beloved country. And that's why we, actually, we are activists for it to go in the right direction. That's called democracy. And so therefore, violence was never the issue. The issue was an effective protest mm -hmm. to help stop the mm -hmm. government from taking suicidal steps. We were unsuccessful. We were far from violent, although we were painted as being violent. The salt-of-the-earth farmers of, of Gaza uh, fell like a house of cards because we don't know how to fight. When, it, when, you, when we fight our enemies, we are like lions, but when it's time to fight our brothers, we don't know what to do with ourselves. We're not built for it. If I don't assert my rights to my land, they will assert their rights to my land. And your land includes the West Bank, Judea, Samaria. That is our historical homeland. What do you mean includes? It, 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 it doesn't include, it originates. I understand. In, 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 you, in Bethlehem, you, in Bethlehem, in Jerusalem. You believe that Gurion was wrong and Weizmann was wrong to accept the partition? No, I think if you read, if you read, uh, if you read the, the diaries and the discussions of that time, they understood that this was a decision that had to be made. There was a moment in time. And, and uh, they... they, they did what they could because... Why wouldn't you say the same thing now about this moment in time? Because that moment after they signed that idea, or signed off on the idea of, of, a, of a partition of, of Israel, the war began. I and understand. we immediately reconquered places that were not part of that partition plan. Every Meaning time say Israel the partition plan was a failure. Every time we conquered land, Israel offered it back. Right, and, and we should stop doing that. It's a little Why? bit silly. Why? Because it's our land, because, because, there because concept, there's been war. You have said it yourself, because there's been war after war to yes. take that land again. And by the way, you and I know there's been one war. American Jews make a mistake when they say there have been four wars. Okay. There's been one war. It started the moment Ben-Gurion declared the state of Israel to be a state of Israel. Right. And all we've had is ceasefires right. in the meantime. There's no question about it that our peoplehood's future is in Israel. Just open any Jewish newspaper. What do they have on the cover? Some local uh, kashrut issue, an Arab issue. What do they have? What's the main issues on the, on the agenda of the Jewish people? It's Israel. That's what's going on in Israel. That's the discussion that we're having. So we have to put Israel first. We have to build it no matter what station we are in life. Not to feel guilt, not to feel distant.
And that's really what I wanted to impart to you. We have to have a fearless attitude and we have to be stiff-necked people. We have to be so darn stubborn right now. So many people want to push us off the Israel story. They want to make it look too complex, too dirty, too impossible, too apartheid, too this, that. All these dirty words because Jews don't like to be called dirty words. You know, they get all upset about it. And that's it. I don't want to deal with Israel. We got to make Israel sexy, attractive, the future. We got to put our efforts into it. We got to send our kids there. We got to turn them onto the story. We got to give them our, our, our narrative. We got to give them our vision. That, that, that why did we Exodus Egypt three and a half thousand years ago? So we could come to the Jewish state, to the state of Israel. So this moment is coming, and I, I, I am trying, I'm sweating, and, and I see that a lot of people are responding to the idea that we have to get together, no matter what, and build that Jewish state that we've been waiting for. It is simply a joy talking to you, and Yishai, no one at the moment is saying some of the things you're saying, and I believe it's very important for American Jewry to hear your message, for you to raise the issues. I am honored to be involved with you. I wish you in all of your endeavors at jewishpress.com. You are being um, very creative in the work you do, bringing more information to Israel. It's wonderful that you bring Ion Zion here to Shalom TV. And whenever there's a way for us to work together, I feel you do a service to the Jewish people and to the Shalom TV community. I wish you kol tuvahatzlacha. You're very, very special. Always, always. Congratulations on the new linear channel. I'm excited. We're going to get it broadcast in Israel soon. I hope you get it done. We would love to be in Israel. By the way, you told me that you had a a very interesting meeting with some Jews in Nashville. A Tallahassee. Yes. What was it? In Tallahassee, Florida. uh, I was telling, I was videoing the the student conference. Uh, Sometimes I'm in front of the stage, sometimes I'm behind the camera. And uh, the kids asked me, the, the young people asked me, where is this going to be broadcast? I said, Shalom TV. They said, Shalom TV, we have it on cable. <laughs> and, and, you know, I, I just think, I really, I, I, um, I think this is not a channel. I think this is a tool for education. I think that you've taken the lead in, in using television, to, which is the tool of education of our time. It's not the classroom. It's It's television. And to bring Jewish values and Jewish culture back into the mindset, into the foreground of, of people's minds is incredibly important. You've, you've, you've st- put a lot in stake into it, and, and, and you know, nobody's behind you except for your uh, tenacious and stiff-necked will <laughs> to get it done. And I think that you should be applauded, and I, I hope that Shalom TV uh, educates uh, thousands and millions of Jews and Gentiles about the beauty and love of, uh, of the Jewish world and of Israel. I want to thank you, Mark. That's very sweet of you. I appreciate it very, very much, Yishai. Okay, Malka, uh, that was Mark Golub, and uh, we salute you in the sky. God bless you, sir. Thank you for being part of my life, and uh, you did good. You did good, Mark, and uh, Rabbi Mark, and, uh, and I, I, always, uh, I always thought of you as, uh, as a real Jew. So call a kavod for your good life. Um, okay, Malka, um, let's uh, finish up with just a little bit more uh, a little bit of Torah, uh, if you don't mind. You know, Malka. No, not at all. Yeah. Last week's Torah portion, we uh, finished off with uh, something that I very much believe in, uh, which is um, seeing Amalek. Seeing Amalek. And uh, I said something to you this morning that I've been thinking about what I said. You know, something something flies out of your mouth. Right, and then you hear yourself say it. You're like, hmm. I don't, I don't love it 
I don't I don't always like when people talk about Mashiach because I find that it is sometimes sometimes feeds into a kind of human need for cataclysm or you know great you know something is going to fix everything for you you know a kind of uh utopian it's 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 sides right, of the same ties cone up the, the loose ends very neatly and conveniently without right. you having to do the hard stuff well said so so it's either like you're like it's cataclysm the world's coming to an end or you know or this guy's gonna come and fix everything mashiach so I've got all kinds of like little funky, weird, emotional issues about that. And I prefer when people talk about, you know, redemption and they talk about revelation. And I don't always like the Mashiach language. Of course, I am commanded to believe in Mashiach and I do believe that there's going to be, you know, but but that's not like my thing because I, I, I tell people my, my standard answer is I'd rather be a warrior for Mashiach and not wait for him to be a warrior for me. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd rather be working for him than him working for me. Okay, fine. Uh, so, so therefore, like I have my issues with with Mashiach language, but I but I feel very strongly that there is very much an Amalek out there, and to me, it's like I'm like, ooh, there's Amalek force, and and to me, that el- element is very very real. Like I'm like, I see you, I see what you're about, and I think Amalek is very strong right now, very strong. Uh, it's coming out against the strong, not as strong as like World War II, but it's coming out strong against Israel. And the whole Palestine thing, which is nothing but a replacement theology, trying to replace Israel. I say this to all the media these days. I go, you walk around, they will sell you a map of Palestine. It's got our borders, Malka, our borders. And then it says Palestine. What am I supposed to understand from that? And they go, go, I, I say to them like, what I'm supposed to understand is they want to destroy Israel and they want to make a Palestine. They're like, and but you have your, uh, your you know, a picture of that map with with the word Israel on it with no Palestine. I'm like exactly right. I don't deny that for a second. This is our land. Right. This is our land. It, there's never been a Palestine on this land. They're trying to come in and take away our heartland, and we won't let them. This is our land. That's exactly right. And then I remind them how small we are in the big picture of 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 the. Of the uh, uh, of the Middle East and the Arab countries that were one out of twenty two Arab countries, et cetera, we're, we're one country within twenty two Arab countries. But the point is, is that whole narrative is an awesome ploy of Amalek these days. Now, why do I mention this? Because last week's Torah portion, there's this thing where where Moses is holding his hands up, and and his ha- when when his hands are in the air up, then Israel wins beats down Amalek. Joshua is able to overcome Amalek. But when his hands get tired and they fall, then Amalek overcomes us. So that's supposed to be like a big question mark. And not only am I asking this, the Mishnah asks this. And they're like, could it be that Moses' hands are defeating when they're up towards the sky, they're defeating Amalek? And so the answer is, no, no. It's when the Jews look at Moses and they see that he's pointing up to the heavens. They're like, okay, we have a father up in heaven. He fights for us and we overcome Amalek. Fine, that's a fine answer. A prosaic answer, a poetic answer. Well, which one is it? No, I guess a poetic answer. But the here's another thought for you. There's a way that we win. There's a way that we win. And when we win... The best, the best case scenario is when we're correctly aligned, when we know how to win Amalek. That comes from Jewish unity. And Jewish unity comes from when we're aligned properly. Now listen to this. Moses is holding up his hands. Who's holding up his, his two hands? Because they were too heavy. Who's holding up his hands? Aaron 
and Hur. Who is Aaron? He is the chief priest, the high priest. And who is Hur? He's actually the son of Caleb. He's actually the continuation of the uh, Judean Judah, the kingdom of the kingdom of Judah, the the one that King David comes from. So he's Malchut. He's monarchy. So you have you have the priesthood. You have the monarchy in the middle. The lawgiver. Okay, that's by the way what it's like on the Temple Mount. On the Temple Mount has those three elements. Those three elements exist on the Temple Mount. You have the priesthood. Right. You have the court system. The head court mm. sits on the Temple Mount. Right. And you have uh, the king has his place as well, just on the Temple Mount. They have there's, that's exactly what w- there's a there's there's a moment where all three of those things coexist. That's what happened up there. That's like the Temple Mount. It's exactly right. It's it's the revelation of Hashem. It's Moses the lawgiver. You got the the the, the monarchy. You got the priesthood, and then you got the fighting Jews. That's Joshua. With the shofar and with the sword, he's out there on the field fighting the Amalekites. The system's in place, the godly channel's out there, it's working, and down there is Joshua, and he's looking up, and he's getting the energy from the proper alignment of, of how the Jewish people are supposed to be aligned from the holiest place. And that's really what wins. And I want you to know, Malka, that in this week's Torah portion, Jethro, Yitro, yeah. um, it says that he heard he heard about, about what's going on with Israel. And one of the things that he heard, he heard about the war with Amalek. He heard not only about the positivity of the splitting of the Red Sea, he also heard about... Amalek attacking. Amalek attacking. And he's like, that's also a proof that, that God is behind this thing. Because if the darkest force in the world is out to get you, that means that you're doing something right. right. You're engaged in holiness. And that's what's happening today. Like, if you want to take another clue into what's going on in the world today, one, I said before, is the Jewish people's survival. And two is the flourishing of the land of Israel. And three is the hate. Right, the super outrage. The hate. The hate, Malka, is a proof that this is a great thing that's happening right now. The hate of the world, of the what we call the goyim, you know, and also the 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 you know the Jews that have gone sour. You know, the Hellenists, the Hellenists, the the globalists, whatever you want to call them, the the folks who have lost a path, who have become apostates or whatever they've become. You know, to 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 secular coercion and globalism and progressivism, whatever it's all called. You know, like that unbelievable obsession and hate that the forces have against us. That too, like Jethro, like Yitro saw, is a proof for God's existence and for the importance of Israel today. And and as my my my, my friends saying, you know, you know, do do you stand with uh, uh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or do you stand with those who rage against Israel? You know, which one is it? And speaking of that, Malka, I will have one more audio to uh, play for you today, and that's my interview uh, with uh, Steve. And Samuel Werp uh, from Blessed by Israel. Nice. They are from the nations. <laughs> they are from the nations. And uh, they are the type who see clearly that Israel's it and that this is a moment to be engaged. And I had the great pleasure to sit down with them uh, and talk with them a little bit about why they've dedicated their lives to the cause of Israel. All right, let's hear it. All right, folks, Yishai Fleischer here, and I'm in my office in Hebron, right across from the Avram Avinu Synagogue. 
and it is cold out there. It is cold. It is precipitations. It's got it's got precipitations coming down all the time. We got some some kind of combo of sleet, snow, rain. And it is gorgeous. And I got all these people coming to my office, these reporters, and they're telling me, like, bad weather out there. I say, bad weather? We think it's a blessing. It is indeed a blessing. And indeed, I, I trek down here to Hebron today from Gush Etzion, and it's just cold and awesome. And and you know who else is happy? The good uh, grapevines and the olive trees. Everybody loves it. They are thanking God for the good cold because they like the cold and they like the frost. And the grapes taste sweeter if there's, uh, if there's some cold in the air. Uh, and... So therefore, it's just good. So it's a big blessing. And as I said last week, and my good friend Ari Abramowitz backed me up, uh, I said this last week, which is, you know, we had basically a uh, drought summer, a drought winter that felt like summer. And then um, there was this awful murder of seven Jews, and immediately came the rains. Were these, were these uh, people like some kind of expiation? Their death was some kind of, you know, or was it God that wanted to give us uh, some kind of um, uh, consolation after such a horrific thing, and he brought us the rain. I spoke to a lady today, a store owner. She says to me, it's a bracha, it's a blessing. And I thought to myself, you know, that blessing came right after that very non-blessing, uh, and maybe those people, you know, in some spiritual way, of course, I don't know, and I'm not God, and I'm not saying anything that I know, just a feeling that I had, uh, and Ari Brahmins backed me up and told me, like, if you had a feeling, if you heard that, you know, God was was, was saying something, uh, but that's what I saw, a super, super sunny, like, month drought here in winter, and then suddenly this this attack, and then winter, winter, winter came. Um, around the world, there are many people who want to bless Israel. Uh, we got our non-Jewish, uh, oftentimes Christian, and, and just lovers of Israel, lovers of the Bible throughout the world. Uh, and I have uh, two such gentlemen sitting with me right now in my office, and that's Steve Werp and his son Samuel. And Steve is the purveyor of uh, a business, uh, but really it's a labor of love. It's a type of it's, – it's, 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 it's maybe a business per se, but it's in fact a, a passion. And that is not only the love of Israel, but spreading the stuff of Israel, especially of Judea and Samaria, especially of Jerusalem, to the world, especially to the United States. And he's been bringing – one, uh, bringing olive oil and, and, and handcrafts and everything you can think of all the way even up to kosher locusts to uh, uh, bring them from Israel and then, and, then, and then storing them in America and then traveling by uh, RV throughout the, the lower states mostly and giving people a chance to buy something from the land of Israel so they could have a piece of the rock, a piece of that feeling. Steve, thanks so much for joining me today. Oh, it's good to be here. You're shy. This is where I get my courage. This is where we get strengthened. This is where we find really our meaning, and that is coming alongside and helping build. Because I really believe that we, we've we been given a place to come and support, to be a blessing, to undergird the, the Jewish communities out here that are actually doing the work of the Geola. So um, just thanks for having us over here. Well, we appreciate that very much. And, and I, you know what? I have to say what you just said right now is, is just true. I mean, so I feel like it, I feel in a sense that you're lucky, right? And that's what I think. I think to myself, oh, you're a lucky guy. This is – I never dreamt about this. I mean, for all these years, I loved Israel and I talked about Israel. We prayed for Israel. But until we actually engaged, until we walked this land, actually until we met people like you that are actually living this dream – we had no. We didn't understand our Bible. We didn't understand what God was doing. We, we had a philosophy, but this is really where our hearts 
met with, with God and, and understood where his heart was. So you can't do that unless you're really engaged. So I just encourage people, stop talking about Israel, stop praying about Israel, and engage. Be part of it. If you want to, you can have a part of this. And it starts when we, we honor, we respect, and we we actually have a conversation. You know, For 2,000 years, we haven't been talking. We don't even know each other. And we are, we are brothers. We're in this together. And this whole process of, of what Hashem is doing today, I really think he's waiting for us. I think he's waiting for the Christian people to understand his heart. And then things start changing. I got a lot of uh, non-Jewish, Bible-loving uh, listeners to the show. They're all over the place. They're all over. They're all kinds of places. They're in... Hoopets, Canada, and the here and there, and in the Colorado, and all kinds of places in Switzerland. I got you know tons of non-Jewish people, and, and they, they they feel these feelings themselves, um, and they um, you know you use that kind of language of like you know God's heart and that kind of thing. They're they're looking to see. They're looking in their Bible. They're like God says, I'm going to bring the Jewish people back to the land of Israel. It's going to happen. Then they see the rebirth of the state of Israel right after the Holocaust. They see miraculous wars. They're just like, I think this is it. I think this is that thing that was been, you know, told about. And and the a lot of people that don't see it, they look a little too closely in it. Because when you look too closely, I like to say, even a supermodel, if you if you uh, zoom in, you know, all the way to one of her pores, it may not be the most beautiful thing. But you zoom out, you see, okay. And the, the, my point is, is that the Israel thing, the rebirth of the Jewish people in the land of Israel, it's huge. It's unbelievable. It's gigantic. And I, again, I, I want to finish the sentence when I was starting before. I feel like you're a lucky person. Why do I feel like you're lucky? Even though you're helping us, I feel like you're lucky. Why? Because I think to myself, wow, he gets it. You know what I mean? Wow, he really, like, he's got a chance in his life to plug into this thing, which is purposefully not obvious anyway. It's purposefully not obvious. If God made it too obvious, then it would be game over. God makes it a little bit hidden, a little bit unclear. And the people that are able to sift through the garbage and able to see the real light and beauty of what's happening right now, I think they're lucky. Like I think that you're lucky that you've dedicated your life to, to the cause of Israel. I, I really, th- For me, it's very obvious. And I think, I think God is making, giving the whole world a choice. Whose side are you going to choose? Which place are you going to stand? Because I think the, the, the walking on the fence, trying to dance this dance, is not working anymore. You either walk with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and choose his kingdom, or you choose what's going on in the world. That's no, there's no two choices. And I think that goes for Christians, Muslims, the Jewish community, the Chinese. The whole world is focused on this place. Why? I mean, what is the what is the population? How many Jews are there? 14, 17 million, like 0.1% of the whole world? What is, I'd love to know what the land mass is. I, I don't right now. But why is the EU so focused on this? Why is the United States so focused on it? Why is the United Nations so focused on it? Why are the Arabs? Everybody seems to know that this is the focal point. This is where God put his name. You're so right, and a lot of times, you know, sometimes you you you, uh, uh, you you kind of laugh at you know the obsession that the media has and the people have, and, and nobody wants to say what it really is. Mm-hmm. So they're like they're like always telling you like there's a human rights crisis. I'm like, well, not really, actually. When you think about it, it's it's not a crisis at all. It's actually relatively small. Our our conflict here. Why are you obsessed? And they never want to say. 
yeah, I think that that that, that either we want to stop God or or we see that God is doing something, we want to be part of it, whatever it is. But they can't they can't you know say it. Jews also, by the way, can't say it a lot of times. For example, when Muslims say, "I think you're trying to undermine the Temple Mount, the Al Aqsa," right? And and what's the real answer? Of course we are. Of course we are. We want to build a third temple there. That's the truth. That's the real truth. Like, but they can't say it. Nobody can say it. You know, nobody can say, well, yeah, actually, the truth of the matter is we that's our piece of real estate and we want to build the third temple there. And yes, it'll be a house of prayer for all nations, but was there something not cool about the way it is right now? And we're gonna we're gonna fix that down the line. I, I think that's what a, a lot of Christians struggle with. They don't understand that this isn't just a Jewish thing. This is about all nations coming up in a place to worry. It's God's presence returning to this place, His glory. It is where we can actually meet together. We're, we're going to, the world's going to come together someday. And this is the place where it's going to come together. Mm. Beautiful, beautiful thought. Samuel, let's, let's just talk uh, like your, your, your dad talked a few minutes ago about, uh, you know, actually before I get to that. So you've been being hauled yourself for many years, uh, going up and down the States and from America to Israel. To, to, to bring Israel stuff to people. What, what was that like growing up like that? It was, it was awesome. I, I mean, we spent a lot of time in Walmart parking lots as our home. And so all of my toys that I grew up with were in packages. But <laughs> it, it was amazing. It was an amazing uh, journey to travel through the U.S. and to see uh, people from, from all different walks of life who were interested. In, and, and I would say after the fact, after we spoke about Israel, excited about what God is doing. That was, that was incredibly life, life-changing. But, you know, you and I before were talking about uh, a different strand within Christianity, American Christianity, which has in it, you know, um, a more, um, how should I say, you said to me, like, they just want, this group of people just want Chinese made, you know, uh, like a talit or something like that, or a shofar or something to kind of be like, there's different streams within Christianity. And one classic stream is a type of replacement theology. Uh, And another classic stream, which by the way, I understand where it comes from, is like thinking that the Jews are the antichrist and the the dark energy. And not everybody is going to like buy into an Israel-centered, an Israel-focused, real, and not kind of like messianic and like a real, here's the real Israel today, we got to be part of it. So tell me from your perspective how, how that looks like and how do, we, how, do we, how do we help people get into kind of the, the right zone? I think it comes down to, you know, what is God doing in the world? And so, you know, that was one of, and you're exactly right, what we were talking about is, you know, I, I would stand at our table. Uh, we, you know, we would be say at a at a at a at a marketplace or something, and and there everybody else around us is selling goods from China, but they look very Jewish, and so my job was to not only convince people that they need to buy, you know, not not Jewish goods or Jewish looking goods from China, but they need to buy actual Israeli products from Israel, you know, supporting the Jewish people here. That was that was my job, and it wasn't just a job as in like telling them they need to buy from Israel or buy from Judea and Samaria. It was more of, you need to know the story because God is doing something, especially in the land of Judea and Samaria, you know, something that, that the world hasn't seen in 2,000 years, um, and you need to be a part of it. And so being a lot of it is just telling people this story because I would say mainstream Christianity does not know that story. And even if they do, they're, you know, that's something that I've talked about a lot is go to the media it doesn't matter if it's on the right or on the left. You hear you, you, Judea and Samaria, the West Bank. It's always, 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 it's always negative. 
right? And so we need to change that story. When people, when you know, especially people that read their Bibles, um, especially people that have a connection to God, when they hear Judea and Samaria, I want them to think not, oh, that place where, where there's always bad stuff happening in, in Israel. I want them to think, oh, that's where, uh, say, Yishai Fleischer lives. You know, that's where Baruch and, and uh, Batya, uh, who, who, you know, who make our products, Erdstein live. Um, that's where, uh, you know, Ari, Ari Abramowitz and Jeremy Gimpel, like that's a place that I know and, and I have people that I'm connected to there. Um, I, I want to give people... Um, I want to change the narrative of this place because it's a beautiful land. Um, it's it's a place where God is working, and the Jewish people that, that are here, um, they they're here uh, for a purpose and, and for a mission, and they're on a mission um, given to them by God. And we have the opportunity to, to be a part of that story. And so, you know, his history is being written um, in our day, and uh, you know, we see now. You know, especially like what's happening in America, we see past gener- gen- the, this generation is now looking at past generations, what is happening, and they're, um, you know, they're they're making a, a statement. They're saying, you know, you had this generation had a problem, and this. Gen- so, what are they going to say about our generation? Are we the generation that that saw what, that what God was doing, and didn't act, or we are, or is this the generation that saw actually what God is doing and said, we want to be there, we want to make make a difference because God is working, um, and we now it's up to us. We have the choice. Very good. And one of the ways that you guys are doing it is through this website called theblessedbyisrael.com. The by is B-U-Y. And the double entendre there is to say to you, it's, you're blessed by Israel, but get stuff from Israel. And I would say, and I like that very much. I like the name very much because as opposed to, and I tell this to almost every crowd that I speak with, I say to them, you know, it's not that you're, when you buy something, some kind of Israeli product, it's not that you're supporting Israel. Is that Israel supporting you? You now have something of Israel in your house or in your body. You've eaten something. You've drank something. Israel becomes part of you. Right. Israel becomes part of you, right? So let, let's just talk for just one second about products. Tell me your top three selling products. What do people like out there? What do people love to buy? Uh, olive oil is top. Uh, honey. And what do you say the third one is? We have, I mean, we have so many others. Soap, ceramics, uh, jewelry. I mean, and eat and, and, and locusts. We, we have Israeli locusts. So <laughs> wait, and it's kosher the locusts that you're selling? They are kosher. They, they, we're working on the kosher stamp, but but they are grown homegrown up on the Golan, and they come fresh to you, all freeze dried. And you can try them with some honey. You can use some hot sauce on them. You can use uh, ranch. I mean, there's all kinds of ways you can taste up grasshoppers. You know, you, you everybody must be there's there's must be a few like most people are probably hearing this as saying ew. Some people are saying yum. I am of – I have eaten grasshoppers this past Rosh Hashanah, so I've really – I am what I eat. I, I'm a believer now. That's right. I've been converted. Uh, you know what I mean? Um, you know, the spy said, you know, we, we are grasshoppers in their eyes, and, and but we say no. We, we eat grasshoppers. You know what I mean? And we, we become strong. Um, I ate grasshopper on Rosh Hashanah with my friend Josh um, Josh Wander, and, uh, and it, it was kosher certified. It was it – was, I can't say it was great. It was fine. It, it was fine. It was definitely – I definitely felt a good protein buzz afterwards, you know, and, and I definitely felt I, – I hopped around the room for no particular reason afterwards. I think it makes you hop. But but it is a great thing. It's a cool thing and they say it's one of the superfoods of the future. It's protein-filled and it's easy to grow and all that kind of stuff. So that's, that's neat. And these are Jewish farmers that are growing these grasshoppers yes. out there? They're in, a, they're in a clean room. I mean these are 100 percent 
clean room glow. I mean, they, they don't go wandering around finding those. Those are actually rare. So they're not free range? Wait a minute. <laughs> I want free range grasshoppers. <laughs> All right. All right. The website is Blessed by Israel and uh, blessedbyisrael.com with B-U-Y in the middle there. Um, and you're also down here right now in Hebron and the Hebron Hills looking for more olive oil, more organic olive oil. Uh, so you're looking for Jewish farmers to do their thing and then to help sell it to the world. And I, I absolutely agree with you. And by the way, and I say this a lot, uh, in the ancient world, we have found ships in the Mediterranean, sunken in the Mediterranean, carrying uh, jars of olive oil, dates, olives, other things. That is what the land of Israel is famous for. It's got a special flavor. It's got a special taste that even in Spain and in south of France and Italy, they wanted the Israeli olive oil. There's something to it. So I understand that that's come. That was also something that from the past uh, that has come to be. So Steve and Samuel, thank you very much. God bless you guys. And, uh, and we'll see you soon um, with more people uh, connected to this land. And I totally agree with you, Samuel. There's a bad narrative that's being weaved about Judea and Samaria. It's been weaved for a long time. Um, I prefer to call it, by the way, just Judea. Yeah. That way it makes it clear Jews are from Judea, and this whole thing is Judea. That's just a simpler brand, I think. Uh, you know, it's like you don't have to talk about every sub, uh, you know, county. The region is called Judea. That's fine. Um, and you're right. The enemies want to besmirch our name. And you guys are fighting uh, on the front lines. Last comments. Yeah, I would just encourage people to get involved. You know, this is, I would say, as Dad started off, it's its an honor for us, right? That we, it's, we have the honor. And um, I just came from the four meeting with you. We just came from a meeting with a shepherd from Chabat Maon um, and was able to really support him, paid off a, a bunch of his debts from funds that we had raised in the U.S. And to be able to see just the relief and the and the smile and the joy that we could bring to, to, to this farmer, that is you know, it's, it's one thing, you know, to have a flock of sheep, say, in Australia or the United States. Um, it's a whole other statement to actually have um, shepherds on the mountains of Israel. And so come and be a part. You know, that's the invitation of Blessed by Israel. It's not that we had things together. It's not that we're perfect. It's not that we are some special people. You know, we're just we saw, saw a need and we filled it. And so that's, that's the invitation to everyone. Come, come and be a part. Right on. Right on. I get that. Steve? Yeah, I, I think it's important for people to understand we're not here because of the past. We're not in Hebron because of the past, though, though it's wonderful. I mean, it's, it's a foundation. Jerusalem, it's not Jerusalem of the past. This is about the future. And we are asking people to engage in the future. So when you come to Israel, when you walk this land, know that this is the future that God has planned for the world, for Jews, for the nations. So come, could just come and be a part of it. Simple and awesome. There's a great future coming up. You just have to see it. Steve and Samuel Werp, blessedbyisrael.com. Thank you very much for being with me today. All right, Malka, I want to thank you so much for joining me today on the show. I know that you're busy uh, and the Shabbat is coming. I want to wish you a Shabbat Shalom, Malka. Uh, this Shabbat is the Ten Commandments, uh, so uh, let's, let's do them, okay? Ten Commandments are the source of life, are the source of real society and civilization, and uh, somebody very smart told me that today the, the world that's anti-Israel and anti-Jewish values, they want to undo every one of the Ten Commandments. And he listed to me exactly how. I'm not going to go into it now. But the point is, is that this is the Shabbat of the Ten Commandments. This is Shabbat of the pillar of this world, the pillar of thought, of behavior, of a social contract, of a meaningful life. It is in the Ten Commandments. So I want everybody out there, Jew and non-Jew alike, 
certainly Jewish people, and of course our uh, 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 international Torah congregation out there to do the Ten Commandments to this this Shabbat. That's why I want you to draw the Ten Commandments. I want you to make your kids draw a Ten Commandments version. I want to see Moses coming down. Ten Commandments down. cake. Ten Commandments cake. And your homework, if you choose to accept it, yes. is to send me. I want you to send me a picture. I want you to send me a picture of some kind of the Ten Commandments. I want to see those Ten Commandments. I want you to write me an email, yishayishayfleischer.com. I want you to send me a picture of the Ten Commandments in your house. Hashtag Ten Commandments. I want you to put hashtag Ten Commandments. I want to see it. Send it to me. I want to see your thing that in your house, somehow in your life, where the Ten Commandments exist, okay? They could be two, like, uh, iPads, you know, coming down. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. I was thinking, by the way, that we do have at the airport, like a Moses holding two, two iPads, iPads and, like, information coming down on it, That's you know? Cute. But like, I want everybody out there to send me something from the Ten Commandments. I want to thank all the many fabulous people that were on the show today. I want to remind everybody uh, that we are remembering Mark Golub, uh, that we uh, pray for the people in Syria and Turkey. I want to thank the Werps. Uh, I want to thank I-24. I want to thank all the sponsors of the show. Uh, I want to thank all of you out there and bless you and send you my blessings. Uh, and of course, I want to thank Hashem, God Almighty, for giving us a chance to be part of it. We are not going to allow ourselves to be in the darkness, Malka. We are not going to allow ourselves to be subdued and cooled off by the forces of the Amalekites. No to Amalek. Get behind me, okay? It's not happening. We are moving forward with great energy and great heat and great passion and great devotion and great love for this time, for the mission that God has on, uh, has sent us on, for the rebirth of Israel, for the rebirth of spirituality in our time. Don't let everybody tell you that this is a time where God is dead. God has never been as alive. I mean, he's always alive, and he's always been as alive. But in terms of revelation to us, this is a great moment of revelation. Mark, I want to thank you so much. Thank you so much. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom. Kol kavod and all your awesome clips this week. That's right. I hope I hope that uh, that they uh, uh, eclipse the darkness in your heart by a little bit of clips of of uh, the love of the land of Israel. Maka, thank you so much and Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom. Spoken many years.